Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. So last time I was here, I don't even remember when that was. It's all a blur. It's been a while. But we were talking about finishing strong. So for those of you who were here, I will um, review a little bit to remind you. But we are looking at keys in the word of God to finishing our race in a position of victory and remaining strong in faith all the way until the end. Because we do not want to be people who start strong and then finish looking like beat up, you know, dragging across the finish line, scarred, wounded, you know, poor, pitiful (laughs) People, that's not how we want to end our race. And and actually, the Lord reminded me on the way down here as I was meditating on this. He just said, you know, there are some people also who cross the finish line and they are elderly in the natural, but in the spiritual, they they can't even walk. They can't talk. They're still in nappies. They still need a bottle. They're spiritual babies. And they're crossing the finish line and they never, ever, ever reach the potential of what God put in them because they were not willing to grow up in the things of God. So that is not a strong finish. That's not the way we want to finish, right? Jesus did not win the victory for us to reach the finish line looking like that. Let's be Joshua's. Let's be Caleb's, you know, who keep our strength all the way to the end, whose youth is renewed as the eagles, who are fighting battles winning victories, and coming out at the end better, much better, far better than we started, right? So we want to demonstrate that victory all the way with energy, with joy, with the peace of God on our lives. You know, we want to look our best at the very, very end because we should have the fullest. We should have the most mature. You know, there are some people who who peak, and then from there it's downhill, No, we are to go up and up and up and up. No, there's no coming downhill at the end. So that is what I want to encourage us with. And a major part, a major part of being able to finish strong is allowing ourselves to be trained by the Lord. What is training? It is called the discipline of the Lord. It's one of these subjects that people shy away from because it seems scary and it's so wonderful. It is so, so wonderful to yield ourselves, to give ourselves over to God's discipline because he's such a good daddy. And if we understand it correctly, it will shift our perspective and we will be happy to be disciplined by the Lord. We will not be afraid. We will not be worried about it. We will be joyful about it, okay? So I have picked out a couple of my favorite Proverbs to start out with because there are so many Proverbs about being corrected and Reproved and disciplined by the Lord. So Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Stupid. Who wants to be stupid? Anyone in here? I don't want to be stupid. We're going to learn what reproof is today, okay? So that we won't be stupid. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent, is able to foresee and act sensibly. Do we want to be a fool or do we want to be prudent? It's a very simple (laughs) question with a very simple answer, right? Whoever, oh sorry, Proverbs 15, 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Do you want to be smarter? Listen to reproof. It's simple. Listen to reproof. You'll be smarter in every sense of the word. (laughs) And you won't hate yourself, okay? When you despise or ignore instruction, you actually hate yourself. It's a self-hatred going on. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mama. Who in here wants to bring shame to their mama? Most of us were well-raised by our mamas. We respect them. We honor them. We do not want to bring shame to them, right? We are given a formula for it. We are given the answer. 
Yield yourself. Yield yourself to correction, to reproof. You're going to get wisdom. You're not going to bring shame upon your mom. Okay. So we are going to go back into Hebrews chapter 12, which was our text from last time. So everybody turn with me. Get out your Bibles. Get out your notebooks. Let's get serious. See what the Lord has for us today, right? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12. Now last time we read the first few verses of this and we delved into a bit of it, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who, it, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Thank you, Brother John, for putting an exclamation on that. That you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've still not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then here in verse 5, this is where we're going to pick up today. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as daughters, as children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So Holy Spirit is bringing these verses to light to us, okay? Now, these are a quotation of Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. So, Holy Spirit is bringing up to the people who, in the new covenant, he's saying, Daddy's still saying this to us. Listen up. Daddy still does the same thing. He's still the same daddy, so listen up. And he gives them this information, this instruction So what does he speak? He says, do not regard lightly. Do not reject. Do not refuse. Do not disdain or look down upon. Do not waste away or despise the discipline of the Lord. Now, last time we defined discipline. We said it is the training and education of children. And it uses instruction, reproof, correction, chastisement, encouragement. uses all of these elements to train us, right? These are tools. So as I was studying out this verse in the Hebrew, because like I said, it's from Proverbs, okay? So it was originally in Hebrew, translated to Greek. I studied it out in the Hebrew. I found another facet of discipline that I just thought was fascinating and so good. It's discipline as a bond or a restraint. Now to some of us, that seems not very fun or exciting, Part of training is keeping the trainee or their disciple. If you are a follower of Christ, you're a disciple. That's where discipline comes from. It is to make a disciple, right? So as a trainee or a disciple, we are restrained in our training. As we're being trained, we are being restrained from dangerous situations, from things that we're sometimes just not ready for. Restraint keeps our focus. It kind of forces our focus to where it belongs, and it's a boundary, right? Boundaries. Boundaries are things like fences. We can think of keeping animals in a safe area, um, and it also keeps predators out. So it's a twofold. It keeps the sheep in, keeps the predators out, right? So think of humanity as wild sheep. The shepherd is there wooing us, saying, come into my sheepfold. You're a wild sheep. Come into my sheepfold. You need a shepherd. You're out doing it on your own. You need a shepherd. So he's wooing us to come and belong to him and to let him shepherd us, right? So the shepherd woos us, and then we don't have to wander, and we don't have to fend for ourselves anymore if we submit to him rescuing us and allowing him to lead us as, his, as our shepherd, right? So once he owns us, He starts training us. He does not just take us as wild sheep 
and let us stay wild and let us stay the way we are, he starts training us. That's what a good shepherd does. He starts training us. He keeps us in a sheepfold. He gives us boundaries. We cannot wander the way we used to. We cannot look to ourselves. We have to depend on him and look to him. The shepherd feeds us. He waters us. He binds up our wounds. He leads us on the path that he determines is good for us, right? This is the first step in our training, in our discipline. Learning him. Learning who he's made us to be. Learning who he is, staying restrained and within his boundaries as we are learning. Now, if we're not resisting that, but we're yielding to his training, there's going to be further elements of restraint, okay? So last time we talked about the verses in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, Upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Right? We're so familiar with those verses. And as I looked up notes in the Passion Translation, I said, I saw that it can be said like this: Bend your neck to my yoke. What is that? That is submission. Okay. You, when you submit, you are giving permission. In your will, your will is giving permission to be led, to have authority over you, right? So bend your neck to my yoke. Okay, I'm submitting to what the shepherd says is good for me, right? Now, he will not knock us over the head and force us into the yoke. That's not how he operates. That's not our shepherd, right? It's something we have to choose to do. So the metaphor of a yoke is it joins two animals together to work as one, right? In training an animal for the yoke, the animal is restrained. The animal cannot run off in a different direction. It cannot stop whenever it feels like it. It is in a yoke where it is being trained and restrained in its training, right? So it restrains younger, inexperienced animals And it puts them in a yoke with somebody who is more experienced, who is older, who is stronger, right? And what it does is it helps the young animal to be like the older animal. It shows them this is how, this is how you do it. I'm older, I'm stronger, I've been through these things, I'm going to teach you and train you so that you're able to handle things when you're walking as as a mature one, right? Right? So when we submit ourselves to the yoke of Jesus, we're being trained by one element of training, which is restraint. If we submit to his yoke, we're not able to run away, to stop and do it our own way. As long as we're in that yoke, we're being trained to do things his way. Can we throw off the yoke? Can we resist the training? Yeah, we can. It's called rebellion, okay? Rebellion (laughs) is saying, nope. I'm not going to come in that yoke, and I'm not going to learn your way, Jesus. It's that simple. Sometimes we think rebellion is some huge act, you know, of pushing back on society or rules or whatever. You know, it's just as simple as saying, "Mm, I think I'm going to try it my way. I'm not going to submit to your authority, Jesus. Okay? It's in little things. It's not just in big things. It's in little things. So when we do this, when we get into rebellion, we don't get the benefits of his yoke. We only get the benefits that are in this verse when we submit to it, right? His yoke is easy. What does that mean? It's kind, it's suitable, it's beneficial. That's his yoke. He knows what's good for you. The world's yoke, mm -mm. it's ugly, it's mean, it's hard. It's going to hurt you and harm you. The yoke of sin It's not good for you. It's not beneficial. You cannot get that beneficial yoke unless you submit to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in rebellion. The load weighs little. His burden is light. That means it does not weigh too much. It's easy to manage. That's not so when it comes to religion, when it comes to sin, when it comes to the world. That's a heavy load. Okay, remember in the beginning of chapter 12, it said, cast off those burdens. It was talking about the burdens of the world, okay, because those are not the right burdens. They're too heavy for you. They're going to harm you. 
you take on the yoke of Jesus, you're not going to be under a burden that's too heavy. It's a promise, okay? But you have to come into his yoke. You have to submit to his training. The other thing is that we find rest for our souls. How many of us, just like Brother John said, are weary? We're weary and we need rest. There's rest in his yoke. There's rest in his training. You're not going to get that rest unless you submit to it. You can't get that rest on your own. There is no substitute. There is no counterfeit that can give you that kind of rest. Only he can, and it's only his way, okay? So we cannot take his discipline lightly. That's what it says, but the burden of it will be light, but we cannot take it lightly. We cannot devalue it, right? His discipline is important. It's valuable. It's wonderful. So let's learn more. Next, it says, nor be weary when reproved by him. So what this could be said, we cannot become exhausted or faint when he exposes and shows our guilt. That's what reproof means. Now, in the Hebrew, it says, do not loathe, do not hate, do not have a sickening dread of his reproof, of his exposing things, right? Why are we given such a specific description on this aspect of discipline on reproof? Because reproof is what brings us to admission. It brings us to be able to admit that there's something wrong, that there's a problem, right? Without reproof, we're not going to see it. So reproof is literally giving compelling evidence or proof to show what is wrong. It's never fun. (laughs) Who in here thinks that having people point out your faults is fun? I don't see any hands. (laughs) So it's not fun. It's very easy to resist being reproved or to take a bit of it and quit. That's enough. I've had enough. That's why we're encouraged, guys. Think of when a parent or a teacher had to point something out that you were doing wrong over and over and over, and you just felt like they were nagging, and it was never going to end, and it was miserable, and could they just shut up? You know, that's, we get into that place where when the Lord is trying to discipline us and bring correction into our lives, we can grow weary of it. Pride likes to rise up in us when faults or weaknesses are pointed out. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. This is why we're instructed not to get tired or weary of reproof. It will be a temptation. We're all tempted to give up and quit when we are reproved over and over and over again. The thing is, when we are in this earth suit, it doesn't end. (laughs) You're never going to get rid of reproof while you are wearing the skin upon you, right? Okay, so just get used to it. (laughs) Embrace it. (laughs) You know, and I've heard so often, I've heard myself say this, I've heard other people say, like, can I just be okay? Like, am I not okay? Can I just, you know, we just want to stop here. Like, I changed a few things. I'm really proud of myself. Like, I changed a lot. You don't understand how much I've changed, so that's enough. Done. You will never grow. You'll never, never, never finish strong when you have that attitude. You cannot quit there. You can't grow weary of it. We have to get used to reproof, and we have to learn to humble ourselves, put ourselves under, and submit to it. When our faults are exposed, we have a choice. Okay? When reproof comes, there's a choice here. We can admit that we have this fault, and we can move on in the process of discipline, which is going to fix the fault, right? It's going to heal us. It's going to bring us out of this weakness so that we're not susceptible to the same things anymore. It's such a wonderful thing, but the other choice is that we can buck up against it, okay? Uh, We can deny that we have a problem. Now, denial stops the discipline process in its tracks. It's like a horse getting to a stop. It will not go any further. And you know what happens? It stunts your growth. You cannot grow any further in that area so long as you're in denial. Okay? Now, the Lord is so merciful and so faithful. He will keep gently nudging us in order to see the problem, in order to receive the reproof. So you know how there's times when you're in the Word, 
And there's some certain subject. It's like every time you open up your Bible, that's all you can find. It's like, I'm going to try a different book. Oh my gosh, it's about forgiveness again? You know, and it, it just keeps coming and coming in every angle and everything you hear. There's forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. You're in unforgiveness. You're bitter. You're, you know, why does it keep coming? That's the reproof of the Lord. It's wonderful. <laughs> He's bringing to light something in you that is not right, that is not like Jesus, and it's harming you. So what does he do? He lets you know. He does not pretend that that's not a problem. He knows what unforgiveness does to you. Unforgiveness creates an unclean heart. It creates bitterness. It's devastating to our spiritual life. It harms us within the body of Christ. We cannot hold on to unforgiveness. Daddy wants to help us. He says, I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm not going to let you keep hurting yourself and hurting other people around you because I love you, okay? We're going to get to this, this motive behind it all. Holy Spirit's also a part of reproof. He will also bump you and bump you and bump you. (laughs) He will bring up things in the Word of God. He will bring up messages for you to listen to. He will speak directly to you if you're listening to expose the problem. The thing is, is when we are not listening. Now, this is when it gets even stickier because when we're not listening to the Word of God or to the Spirit of God, God likes to raise up one of his servants to come and speak to us on his behalf. And this is where we really, really, really don't like reproof is when it comes through an actual person, right? So when we see a person bringing the reproof of the Lord in our life, we say, who do they think they are? I see what they're doing. I see this weakness of them. Who are they to come and tell me what I'm doing wrong? This is the attitude. This is the pride that tries to come on us and choke out the growth in our life, right? It is not easy to receive reproof. It's not easy as children to learn how to receive correction from parents even. But a good parent doesn't quit correcting. A good parent doesn't say, well, you don't enjoy when I tell you that you're wrong, so I'll just let you keep going. You just run toward that cliff, sweetheart, and if you fall off of it, well, at least I didn't hurt your feelings. You know, is that what a good parent does? Never, never. That's not what the Lord does with us either. So we have this tendency to get offended if a person is speaking this through, you know, this reproof from the Lord. We don't hear it as being from the Lord. We only look at the person, the outer vessel, and we push back or we justify. We say, well, I'm comparing myself to these other people. I'm not as bad as them, so that's a justification for me to stay the way I am, right? It only prolongs the process. We have to yield to discipline to change. Without reproof, there is no discipline. Without reproof, we'll never be aware of things that are in us that are not like Jesus that need to change. But in receiving reproof, what is the instruction? Don't grow weary. Don't faint. Don't get tired. Okay? It's going to come. And it's going to come and come and come and come and come. It's a good thing. Receive it. Embrace it. Don't push back on it because, like I said, it's going to make the process ten times longer if you keep denying and saying, eh, not yet, eh, not ready for that. Okay, the next phrase. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. This shows us the motive behind the whole thing, behind discipline. It's love, it's agape. The love of our daddy sees our faults. We are not perfect like him. He is perfect. Can you imagine one who is so perfect and so pure looking at us (laughs) and what he must see? (laughs) You know, he is able to look at us with his love and be willing, have a willingness to treat us as kids and work with us to get us out of our issues, right? His love does not condemn us. It does not give up on us. He's never going to give up on you, ever. You're never too far gone. He will not give up on you. His love cannot. It never ends. It can't give up. Okay? That's the love of God in discipline, though. He is walking in love towards us when he disciplines us. He's patient and he's kind in his discipline. 
how wonderful to have somebody who knows how to discipline in a healthy way, in a perfect way. Okay, we've all seen the imperfect. We've all done the imperfect. But he is perfect in his discipline. I love the wording of how personal this is as well. It says he disciplines the one he loves. Are you the one? Are you the one he loves? He's pointing out you as an individual who he loves. He cannot help but discipline you because of his great love. Are we seeing his discipline as love? Do we recognize it as that? Receiving the love of the Father is receiving his discipline. It's a beautiful part of our relationship with him. Without his discipline, we can't be the one he loves. The one he loves is our identity. We can think of it as our name. If somebody says, who are you? What's your name? I'm the one he loves. What did John say? He said, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. That was his identity. He knew it. I'm the one he loves. Who are you? Well, you may be, but I'm the one he loves. You have to have it that personally. It has to be real to you that you are the one. He didn't say all that I love. He said the one. Are you the one? Because he disciplines the one he loves. So just accept it. See it for what it is. Perfect love, willing to take one who is so imperfect to never give up on them, to bring them to maturity, completion, perfection. Remember the beginning of Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith, right? He wants to start a work in us and he wants to finish a work in us. And that work is accomplished through discipline, through training. That's how he gets us there. Okay, we can't get there without it. Knowing the Father's love for us, it should motivate us and it should inspire us to yield to his discipline. We can trust him. He will never discipline us to harm us, to hurt us, to abuse us. He can't. It is only to love on us, to grow us, to make us more like him. So some of you, when you came into the sheepfold, you came in as victims of abuse in the natural realm, right? There are people sitting in here who have been through horrific things in the natural, have been abused by people who were in authority who should have loved on you, and they didn't because they're not a perfect father. So for those of you who have come into the the sheepfold like this, you're going to have to allow the shepherd to heal those wounds. So you're going to have to see him properly because otherwise you're going to be touchy and fretful when he tries to put his hands on you. When he tries to come with his healing touch, you're going to shy away and you're going to be afraid of it. But you have to let him get those wounds healed. Okay, in the natural, you have to get those wounds healed. Otherwise, you're going to be trying to go through this training of the yoke training for your purpose and destiny, and you're going to have a limp, you're going to be unwhole, you're going to be unable to properly move forward in your training. So it's something he wants to get done in the beginning. Come into the sheepfold, let me heal up these, all this baggage you brought in. You know, we all bring baggage in when we, belong, when we come in to belong to him, and it's something we have to let him deal with because we will not be able to be trained up, to be disciplined when we have all this old hurts, old wounds dragging us down, but he's here to heal us for it. Okay, now we're going to get into the really fun part. The next line says, he chastises every son he receives. Do you guys know what chastisement is, the literal meaning of it? It means to flog, to whip a victim who is strapped to a polar frame. I see it on some of your faces. You're going, are you for real? Are you saying that (laughs) this is what I have to go through to be a child to God? I have to take a beating. So let's look a little deeper into it. You know, Jesus warned his disciples with this specific word, which is sometimes translated scourge, right? He says, you're going to be whipped. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be tortured. You're even going to be killed for my sake. But what is that? It's persecution, right? It's not discipline. It's persecution. We need to have that difference settled. Because when we face persecution and we're being mistreated or abused by the world because of our faith in Jesus, that is not God punishing us. 
That is not the hand of God whipping you and saying, that's my punishment, that's how I treat you. It's not him. That's persecution. We all are susceptible to it when we come in and serve Jesus. Uh, The Lord, the Father, he delivers us, he strengthens us, he helps us through the persecution. And look, I want you to know something about chastisement. There is very good news. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed, right? Upon Jesus was the whipping, the scourging, the beating that we deserved. He took that punishment for us. The father receives Jesus as his son. He says, I receive every son that, I, that is chastised. So Jesus took that. He was chastised for us in our place, right? The sin in us that deserved that punishment was paid for by Jesus. It's the wonderful news of the gospel. It's the, you know, the ultimate price of sin. The ultimate chastisement is the separation of us from God for eternity. And Jesus already paid that. So we cannot, we have to have that settled in us. That's not what this kind of chastisement or discipline is talking about, but there's still a refining process, okay? The, the refining upon the earth, this discipline, this training, it's part of our sanctification. And sometimes with it comes the consequences of disobedience, okay? There is a spiritual chastisement that comes through the word, the spirit, even God's human servants, we like to call it a spiritual spanking, right? He will use his word to chastise you to say, come on, listen up, wake up, right? He will bump you with his spirit, chastise you. He will bring a person to give you a spiritual spanking and say, look, you're not going the right direction. You're in danger. Wake up, okay? God does not use his word, his spirit, or his servants to physically whip us. But he does allow or permit physical things that wake, up, wake us up and get our attention, right? When we sin, we open the door for the devil to mess with us, to oppress us, to torture us. This is not what God wants for us, not what he has for us. But he will allow us to see the fruit of our actions at times, right? Sometimes we have to see that what we do There's fruit to it. When we sow, we reap, right? Now, his mercy is wonderful, but he is not going to allow his mercy to keep us on a path of destruction, right? So let's think of it as a child. We are imperfect parents. We instruct and we warn our kids and we give mercy at times. But sometimes there is something that is very dangerous. Let's take, for example, a hot stove. Now, when my kids were young, you know, I would give them a little swat. I give a stay away from that. Don't you, you know, if they started reaching for it, nope, don't you touch that. That will harm you. That will hurt you, right? That is what we as parents do. And even then, sometimes the kid has to find out the hard way. You know, I, oh, <laughs> it's horrible when that happens. But the Lord has tried with everything he has to give us spiritual spankings, to correct the sin that's leading us into great danger. But if we are refusing to listen, or we have justified our sins and continue in it, then we're going to have to see the fruit of it sometimes. Sin pays a wage. We will have to deal with the consequences of it. When a child refuses to believe your warning as a parent about a hot stove, and they ignore the spankings you've given them, and they think they know better, and they want to see for themselves, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of a burn, right? They're going to get burned, and they're going to have to deal with the consequences of it. Now, as parents, we're so sad. We're so sad to see our kids hurt, but we did everything we could to protect them, right? The child was rebellious, and now they live with the result of it. So some dangerous situations like a busy street with a child, they can actually lead to death. There are sins in your life that will lead you to a premature death if you don't listen, if you don't stop. He loves you. He is telling you, stop. Stop going that way. Because he doesn't want to see you hurt. There are some things 
in our lives some sin that are very, very dangerous. We're playing with fire. We are really playing with fire, and we're going to get burned if we keep on. This is what the discipline of the Lord is for. He's chastising us. He's loving on us. He's trying to bring us correction. But it's up to us, guys. We have to listen to him. We have to let him be daddy. Okay? Chastisement isn't meant to be judgmental or abusive. Well, at least not when it's from our Heavenly Father, right? It is protective. Okay? It's protective, loving, and merciful, and it shows how much it cares, but it's up to us to embrace it. Okay, so our next verses here give us an even further understanding. Start in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children, as daughters. For what child is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I just want to look at a couple of last things here, guys. Hey, you're getting off easy because I know your services are normally a lot longer than this, so (laughs) don't be giving me the tired face. (laughs) Okay. I want to focus real quick before we go on verse 10. It says that God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For our good, it means to bring together to be profitable. So all of our training, all of his discipline, it's going to profit us, right? It's going to be a profit. You're going to benefit by enabling us to share his holiness. He wants to... us to partake. He wants to share with us his holiness, his perfection, his purity. Only he is holy in and of himself. We can't be holy in and of ourselves. Only he is holy in and of himself. We draw our holiness, our sanctification from him, right? So 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 through 16 says this, it says, as obedient children, what are obedient children? Obedient children are those who are submitting to their father's discipline, to his authority in their lives, right? So obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not allow your old self who wasn't instructed and trained and disciplined by the Lord to pull you back into the muck of your old ways. You used to act like somebody who didn't belong to the king. Now you belong to him, okay? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now this verse is so very, very clear about holiness being lived out in our conduct. This goes against a lot of teaching that is out there today. I'm not sure how people defile God's grace by saying that our conduct doesn't matter when we are in Christ. It's a perversion of God's word. What Jesus accomplished enables us, that is his grace, his empowerment, his enabling, he enables us to become holy like him. Even in our conduct, our behavior, our conversation, Every facet of who we are, he made us to be like him. He didn't leave us and say, you just stay the way you are. He loves us the way we are, but he made us to be like him, to be sanctified, to come into his holiness, to partake, feed on, draw from his holiness so that we can be like daddy. Otherwise, what would be the point? of discipline. 
Why would he discipline us if it didn't matter? What would be the point? He takes so much time to instruct us, to train us, to reprove us, to correct us, to chastise us. He takes all that time for a purpose. He is not stupid. (laughs) He does not do this for no reason or no purpose. So we have to get it settled in our hearts. Our conduct does matter. We are representatives. We are ambassadors of Christ, the Christ, the perfect, pure, holy Lamb of God. You are an ambassador. He poured out his blood for you, and you represent him to the people around you. You represent him. How are you representing him? Are you growing? Are you being disciplined so that you look like daddy and your, his holiness is flowing out of you, even in your conduct? Is that what's happening? Because that's what, that's what he determined we are made for. That's what he determined he wants for us. How could Jesus be so perfect and so beautiful and so sweet and so kind and so wonderful and lay down his life and we just spit on it? Say, I'm going to do what I want. How? How? How, how, how? Think about it. Are you really okay to give him a bad name with your conduct? Now, am I saying that you're going to be perfect? No, of course not. There should always be a constant process of being reproved, of realizing our faults, repenting, admitting that we're wrong, and changing. When people see this, they are amazed by seeing Christ in you. Okay? It is not only when you read your Bible and go to church and pray that shows that you belong to God. When you admit your faults, you repent, you humble yourself. These are things that are going to draw people to Jesus that say, wow, I can't believe he admitted that he does that wrong. I can't believe that he was able to come and ask my forgiveness. There is something crazy about that. That, you know, there's no pride in that, guys. When people see a lack of pride, they start wondering what's going on in our lives. And they will see Jesus. It is not only in these outward things of playing Christian. These conducts will affect others just as much as exhibiting Christ-likeness when we study, when we speak God's word, when we pray, even when we heal the sick and cast out devils. Our humility speaks speaks huge loads. Our character speaks huge volumes to people around us. So if we are speaking God's word, if we're praying, if we're coming to church, but there's not this constant state of repentance, that we're not allowing the Lord's discipline to go on in our lives, then guess what it's called? Guess what he's been bringing up lately? Religion. That's religion. That's nasty. That's fake. And it will get you in a lot of trouble because you will think that you've got it all together and you don't. If it's not real on the inside of you, if you are not allowing yourself to constantly be changed from the inside out, but you're coming and you're sitting here and you're reading your Bible and you're trying to look good, that's religion. That's religion. Religion tells you that going through the motion of attending church, praying, reading your Bible, even evangelizing is enough. It's basically telling you you can do it yourself. That what you do makes you good enough for God. It will keep you far away from the discipline and the training of the Lord. For his discipline gets you right from the inside out. I'm going to read you these verses that Jesus spoke from Matthew 23. Verses 25 through 28. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. Jesus said, Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds and imposters, You are like the one who will only wipe clean the outside of a cup or a bowl, leaving the inside filthy. You're foolish to ignore the greed and self-indulgence that live like germs within you. You are blind and deaf to your evil. Shouldn't the one who cleans the outside also be concerned with cleaning the inside? You need to have more than clean dishes. You need to have clean hearts. Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds and imposters. You are nothing more than tombs painted with fresh coats of white paint. 
Tombs that look shining and beautiful on the outside, but within are found decaying corpses full of nothing but corruption. Outwardly, you masquerade as righteous people, but inside your hearts are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is a picture of what happens when we don't submit ourselves to daddy's love through discipline. If we want to claim him as our father, but not listen to him and obey him, then we're exactly like the religious leaders that Jesus was rebuking. He did not praise their outward facade. He did not say, wow, you guys look great. Yeah, look at the, those religious clothes you're wearing. You are cleaned up and you're looking good. That was not what Jesus said. He didn't even notice or care about the outside, did he? He knew what was on the inside of them, and he spoke the truth in love boldly with no compromise. He reproved them in love, but in a truth that would get their attention. It was up to them to yield to that reproof, to allow repentance to take hold and change their hearts. But most of them were more, protect, were more interested in protecting that fake illusion of power and importance that had become idols in their lives. They were protecting the financial gain, the forced honor, the manipulative power that they wielded, and they weren't realizing that these false gods were actually taking them straight to hell. They claimed to belong to the Father, but they didn't. This is what gets people to the throne of God with a false confidence, only to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. It's very sobering, and it's a serious thing, and it's the absolute furthest thing from finishing strong. We cannot finish strong without receiving the Lord's instruction, reproof, that exposure and that evidence of where we're wrong, his correction, his chastisement, his giving us a spanking, his restoring kindness when we repent, and his encouragement to endure and persevere to the end. We need our daddy's discipline. He knows what's good for us. He knows individually what's good for us. He knows as his body as a whole what's good for us. It is like the air we breathe. It is vital. We're going to have to take hold of it or we're never going to get to the end strong, right? We are going to finish in a state of being babies, being weak, being vulnerable, being picked off by the enemy. Because who does the enemy go after? The weak, the vulnerable. The ones who are off on their own, isolated, wounded, babies. That's not where we want to be. We can't stay there. And listen, when people come into the church and they are babies, we got to protect them. Okay? It's up to us to be the body and to help protect them while they're growing. But they got to be growing. We all got to be growing and we got to encourage each other to be growing up spiritually to submit ourselves. Bend our neck under that yoke. Take on the discipline of the Lord. Take on his training to know him enough to say, Daddy, I want to be like you. And I'm not satisfied to stay like me because I want to be like you. Okay, we have to be enamored by him. You're going to have to spend time with him to be enamored by him. You'll never think, see how wonderful he is if you're not spending time with him. So if you're... <laughs> It's like you can't even start on the journey of discipline unless you know your daddy, unless you receive his love, right? So for some of us, that's where we are. We just need to start with that. We just need to take hold of, my father has invited me into something that is so far beyond what I deserve. It's crazy. And we just need to receive that, receive that love. And then for some of us, we're a little further along. And maybe, you know, we've submitted ourselves to coming into the sheepfold, to belonging to him. We know him a little bit. We're getting to know him. But we're still doing things our way. And he's saying, I got better for you. I got better for you. Are you going to let me train you? Are you going to keep on like a wild animal off on your own trying to fend for yourself? Because I've got better for you and I'll protect you. I'll protect you in it, okay? So we're going to stop there for today. The subject's not done. Definitely, I'm going to come back for more. So <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you all, especially uh, for all of you who were here during the conference. I know that, you know, there were so many services. It was intense. <laughs> and 
you know, we had people who were up here cleaning and, you know, doing hospitality and doing media and doing worship. And, you know, I'm just so very, very thankful. So I don't want to leave here today without thanking every single one of you who was helping that. I don't care how far behind the scenes you work. God sees it. I appreciate it. Ryan appreciates it. Um, we love you guys. And we're so excited for what God's doing here. We want to just continue on with you, right? Okay, so we're going to pray before we dismiss. Father God, we just thank you and praise you this morning. We thank you that you are teaching us and training us because you love us. And I just ask, Lord, for that revelation of you as the Father, that revelation that each and every person in here is the one who's loved by you. That is our identity. We are beloved. And in that love, you train us. You keep us out of danger. You show us the right way to go. You warn us when there's things that can harm us. But we got to yield to it, Lord. we got to let you. So I thank you, Father God, for a deeper level of submission coming on your people, submitting to your authority, seeing your discipline as a good thing, seeing your discipline as something that we want. Please, Lord, challenge us, discipline us, show us, help us grow, Lord. Let us be people who are hungry, hungry to get more of you, hungry to open up more of ourselves to you, not satisfied to sit back and stay babies and let somebody bottle feed us. But I thank you, Father God, that there is a desire for growth. There is a desire for development. That we desire to develop as your children to be more like you, Lord. That we will see things more clearly. We will be able to operate in spiritual gifts, Lord. You'll be able to trust us with more as we trust you. So we thank you and praise you for your word going forth that we hold it in our hearts. We value it, Lord. We value everything that you spoke today, everything that you did today. We will not forget it. We will go and we will dig in and we will study and get revelation for ourselves. We won't just feed from other people's garden. We're going to let seeds be planted in our own garden that we can eat from that fruit as well, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you that no one in your body, no one in your family is ever left out, ever alone. Thank you for surrounding us with your love and arms, Lord. And let us be a people who surround each other with love, with faith. That we are a body united, knitted together by your word, by your spirit, by your truth. Growing in your love together. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.